0: Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where
1: we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty.
0: On today's show, we take your questions on they-them pronouns, sending your married monogrammed thank yous before you're married, how to handle a couple who is asking you to chip in on their wedding tasks, walking through doors, who should go first, and how to let those you've been talking to for online dating know you've met someone.
1: Plus, your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a PostScript segment on dining classics.
0: For Awesome Etiquette, sustaining members, your extra question of the week is about tipping when your server changes shifts.
1: You can listen to your ads-free version of the show with its extra question by downloading it at awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com or on your phone, you can download the Teachable app.
0: All that coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont, by the Emily Post Institute.
1: I'm Lizzie Post.
0: And I'm Dan Post-Senning.
1: Oh, I've been listening to a book. Do tell. (laughs) A lot of our audience um, talks about how much just thinking positively and thinking about things in terms of consideration, respect, and honesty has changed their lives. And I know that you and I feel that. We are not perfect in it. It doesn't happen every day, every moment. And we each have – Dan, just so you know, Dan is, like, miming all this, the like, yes, faces I can of course. Make. I know. We really need to start live streaming this because you are a riot, cuz. But we, we talk about how positive they feel and how much it it starts to creep into the rest of their world. And they notice that with their family, friends, or coworker. They're having more pleasant experiences. And I am someone who is always in search of that. I like life to be positive. I like seeking that out. And I have a brain that can go fairly negative and can be kind of destructive at times, putting myself down and, you know, believing the things that other people momentarily think about me when they're frustrated as opposed to believing that they're whole people too and that they have a whole spectrum of perspective on me. So this book got passed to me by my friend Christian Fuchs and it's called Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. I'm not in love with the title because I'm fairly like pro myself. I'm like, wait a minute, but I like me. I don't need to like break the habit of being me. I just want to improve me, dude. So it's been fun listening to it. But it talks a lot about the negative thought patterns that we create and how we can break free of those patterns. And I've noticed in my own life over the past 4 years, I had to make a major mental break. I was living in that that space of like everything's always wrong, nothing's ever going right, like people aren't understanding me, I'm not being valued. I mean, just all those negative thought patterns and over the years, as they build up, it becomes just how you think. And I knew I needed to change this a couple years ago. And a lot has changed, and I'm, I'm in a much like happier mental state on a regular basis. But this book really dives deep into some different ways of thinking and some ways to connect the energy that we all feel to practical applications in our daily lives and in our ways of thinking to help break free of these negative patterns. So
0: I've heard you talking about this book because I I can tell as you worked your way through it, you've been thinking about it. One of the things that I've really liked is hearing you talk about the mechanics of change. Yeah. And it's a theme that's emerged for me. I just got back from two full days of teaching and I, I noticed over two days of teaching talking a lot about creating good habits and... Approaching the whole idea of a training with a willingness to change, to even make small improvements, mm-hmm. to, to make an effort to do little things differently and that there are potential rewards to be reaped. So I've been also thinking about where change works, how to make change work, what are the potential benefits, but also how you then establish habits that are habits that you feel work for you, how you Positive evaluate habits old habits. Yeah, and yeah. It's a big part of – For me, this show, the way we've made a habit of having this discussion, I've noticed it has had impacts, (laughs) positive impacts for me as well. I notice when I'm standing in front of audiences and I'm talking and I'm giving advice, I will often be reflecting on how, boy, I've been giving this advice for long enough, it started to make an impact on me. yeah. And it's almost hard to think back, like you say, four, five, eight, ten years when we really started having this discussion in a intentional way working for Emily Post and to remember what it was like to not be having this discussion about thinking about others, assuming the best, operating from a
1: well, perspective
0: think, of consideration, respect, and honesty.
1: I think one of the things you're experiencing is what he's talking... Sorry, the author of the book is Dr. Joe Dispenza. And what he's talking about is often allowing for the self you have and the self that you think on the inside to really be the self that you live on the outside. And I mean, to do it in every single moment with every single thing is almost impossible, but not. And I like the idea of trying to have it all match up because it's easier to balance. It's easier to live in a world that you think and to think the world that you live. And it's a really impactful thing. Um, I've been really impressed with how when my brain starts going to the negative places, the put down places, either towards myself or to someone else, the number of times that I stop myself in that thought pattern and say, how on earth is this serving anything other than to put me in a more negative mood? When I see a picture of a singer that I don't think is a particularly good singer and yet, you know... I don't know, people People totally love this person, everything. I don't need to walk by that photo or flip by it in a magazine and think, oh, that person's terrible and they don't deserve to be where they are. Like, that is such a waste of time and thought in my brain. And I'm liking the fact that I'm having those moments where I say, yeah, no, 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 don't spend your time here. Like, let's go back to, we're about to walk in and do the podcast and this is one of my favorite times of the week and... That's awesome. <laughs> so again, the book is called Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. Um, it does kind of connect the, the physical world and the energy world, and it, it pulls some really interesting concepts and, and truths from neuroscience into the idea of how you can be reworking your brain so that it serves you better and that you're more connected in the world that you're living in. I'm intrigued. <laughs> I've sent it to you, so I'm hoping it's on your re- your listen list. I will take a look. (laughs) We have a show to get to. Yes, we do.
0: Should we get to it? Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. Sustaining members, remember to put sustaining member in your subject line.
1: Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, Our first question is titled, The New Normal.
0: Hey, Lizzie and Dan. Thank you for the podcast and the weekly reminder to be kind. Your foundation of courtesy and respect has made me a better person through osmosis, and I adore the historic etiquette. Question. I am gender non-binary and present very femininely. I use she, her, and they, them pronouns interchangeably. What do I say when a very well-meaning person insists that I tell them which I'd prefer? My go-to is they-them, if you like the practice. But this doesn't cut it sometimes, and they insist I pick one. I've had a similar frustration in the other direction, when people go by multiple names equally. So advice for receiving this kind of ambiguity would also be appreciated. Finally, on eating tailed shrimp with a knife and fork, I've had good luck breaking the flesh off the shrimp near the tail and using my knife to hold the tail and shell while I'm pulling the whole body out with my fork. Thank you for the wonderful podcast, yours. Good habits, take a few tries.
1: I love this. First, I like the tail shrimp maneuver. I've seen people do that. And as long as you're able to keep that shrimp tail, the shell part, from sliding on the plate? Firmly yeah, pressed down. Yeah, if you down. can get that firm press that Dan's talking about, then you're, you're golden. I like that. But good habits take a few tries. Thank you so much for asking this question. It's a really great question. And I have a number of thoughts on it. So are you cool, cuz, if I just dive in? Let's and us Okay, cool. So I think the answer to this question really depends on truly what you prefer between these two sets of pronouns that you use interchangeably. And... It's okay for you to state which ones you prefer. What I noticed about your sample language that you gave is that they, them, if you'd like the practice, has now put the shift back onto the person who's asking the question of you of what they prefer if they'd like the practice. You're you're still giving them an option and they're asking for something declarative from you. Feel comfortable just saying they, them is really what I prefer or they, them is great. Thank you. Or truly, it matters not. Whatever you're more comfortable with is also an answer, if that's the answer you'd like to give, that you could give. It really is that moment where someone is asking you your preference. So be declarative about it. It'll help them understand how to move forward. And it's good etiquette.
0: People want to... Be respectful. They want to treat you well. They want to call you what you want to be called. And all kinds of questions come up around names and titles. So help that person out. Help them know what it is that you like and prefer.
1: Absolutely. Sometimes you may get the person who doesn't understand that they them is actually grammatically correct for singular pronouns. They aren't used to the idea of saying they are a writer, or they aren't sure how to replace the she, her with a they, them, and then properly use verbs after it. And I was really happy to turn, actually, to mypronouns.org, which I thought did a really great job of identifying the they, them pronouns.
0: What I loved about (laughs) this is that they have sample language, sample scripts. really good
1: sample scripts. (laughs) For practicing
0: new things. As we talk about on this show, those sample scripts are so helpful.
1: They're even helping through some of the perceived grammatical blunders that are stopping people from wanting to use they them. So one of the examples I had thought of was, you know, oh, you could you could say something like, you know, Kendall lives in Fort Lauderdale. They are a writer for the local paper. That's not what everyone is used to in their everyday language. They are a writer for the local paper to be a singular, but the more practiced you get at saying it, the more comfortable you are. And it's it's just not complicated. It just takes a few tries, just like you're saying. But I loved how mypronouns.org put it. They said, here's an example of how you would go through the they's and the them's and the themselves and the theirs with the proper verbiage. They are a writer and wrote that book themselves. Those ideas are theirs. I like both them and their ideas. They really want you to note that the they pronouns are singular and they refer to an individual, but the verbs are conjugated the same way the plural they verbs are conjugated. So you're using are, you're using that plural verb.
0: And I'm learning right along with you. We learn new things every day.
1: <laughs> we really do. We really do. Mypronouns.org also noted that when you're using this singular pronoun set, many people use themselves rather than themselves, even though both are typically acceptable. This is something I've noticed a lot in our writing that we actually put out. There are multiple times where we will go to the they-them pronouns just to avoid the, the constant he, she, he, she, he, she, and also to make sure that people who identify with they are being included. And they're seeing that as an experience. And it's not just, oh, and then there's this other option for this other set of people who operate differently. And I actually, in one of my recent books that's coming out, I said, I really want to make sure we're alternating as much as possible between these three. And they, them can be used as a singular pronoun. And I would like to see that.
0: That was a discussion you were having with a copy editor. You
1: got it. It was An actual discussion that happened um, because we want to be intentional and inclusive about this. So what about the other
0: side of the equation? What about someone who's hearing – you know, I've got a couple of names or a couple of titles that I'm equally comfortable with.
1: You and I go through this because you are Dan, Daniel, and to a very limited few, Danny. And I True. Am to a very <laughs> limited few, Elizabeth, and then much more limited. Like I mean so limited it's not even like they know not to introduce me as as Elizabeth. And then I am Lizzie to everyone, and then I am Liz to a select. Set of people who are like Emily close friends Post and family, to
0: a small subset.
1: Yeah, exactly. And Emily Post to a small subset of people. Good, good one, Cuz. Um, but it's it's funny. I feel your pain in this because it's very hard when someone calls you calls me Liz. I feel um, snobbish, I'm just going to say it, if I turn around and say, oh, actually, I prefer Lizzie. Liz is really what my close friends and family call me. So often I'm in this situation where my close friends and family are around and they're calling me Liz because that's their shortened nickname for me. I'm introducing myself as Lizzie and the person receiving that introduction doesn't know whether they should be calling me Liz or Lizzie. It it happens all the time. And I think one of the best things that you can just do is introduce yourself the way you'd like to be called. And you can say, yes, some people shorten it to Liz, but I do prefer Lizzie. Or if it's not a preference, you can say some people end up shortening it to Liz. I introduce myself as Lizzie. And that's the line I let people know that When I'm making introductions, I say Lizzie. Like, what do you do for Dan and Dan and Danny? Daniel and Danny.
0: (laughs) Different mediums I go with different things. I usually write Daniel. I usually introduce myself as Dan. That Mm -hmm. in-person greeting is often more informal. If I'm wondering what to call someone, I go with what the introduction was made as. Mm -hmm. And then I wait to modify until I've been invited to modify Mm -hmm. or I'm really pretty sure that it's – Going to work, but that example you gave of being introduced as Lizzie, but then being around people that call you Liz, is a great reminder not to just jump to the nickname or the short name or the more informal. That stick with that title, stick to that full name, stick to the thing that someone says. Hi, I'm Daniel. It's Daniel. It's Daniel. It's Daniel. No, no, please call me Dan. People do it all the time. Now it's comfortably Dan, and that's. It's not quite a host guest dance, but it's it's about respecting names. People's names are so important, and people want to get names right. They want to do it for the right reasons. We all want to get other people's names right, and if there's any question, use all the clues that you have, but stick to that that first introduction, the thing that was offered when you first met someone. If you really want to change it, you can always ask.
1: Mm -hmm. You can say, I always think of you as Liz. Do you mind if I call you Liz? And I'll often say no. If it's easier and it helps you remember, no worries. I'm learning how to use they, them pronouns. (laughs) (laughs) Would
0: it be okay if I chose that option, if an option is given? And now you've sort of opened up a discussion a little bit and you've acknowledged that this is new language for you and you're open to a discussion about it.
1: Good habits take a few tries. Thank you so much for giving us this question. I am hoping that we encounter a lot more they's and them's regularly out in the world. And I hope that whatever pronouns you prefer, that people are choosing to respect you by using them.
0: A well-mannered group, I
1: think. You notice their good manners right away. Good manners make good first impressions. And because your manners are showing all the time, they have a lot to do with how well people like you.
0: Our next question is titled, Tempting, But Wait.
1: Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I'm getting married in about two months. My fiancé and I have begun to receive some gifts off our registry. When do we need to send thank you notes? I had been planning on waiting until after the wedding because I wanted to either get thank you cards with a picture from the wedding or get stationary with our new monogram. However, I am feeling uncomfortable with waiting so long not sending the thank you notes. I have considered just getting monogram stationary and sending them now, but it seems wrong to send something out with my first initial and his last initial before we're married. Should I just suck it up and get more generic thank you cards to use for gifts we received before the wedding? What's a bride to do? Thank you for all your help.
0: You are correct in your impulse that you don't want to be using a married monogram yet. And I am really appreciating your enthusiasm for getting some stationery with that new (laughs) monogram. Are you,
1: Dan? I am.
0: (laughs) Someone who enjoys a good stationery wardrobe, um, I, I, I understand that. That anticipatory feeling and just wanting to get it and, and even seeing how it would be appropriate for this use. But it's really not until the wedding happens. Once upon a time, wedding gifts were really sent to the bride and the thank you notes came from the bride. Today, that thank you note can come from both of you. You are right. You're going to want to stick with a simpler stationary, not the married monogram. But you can both sign it. You can both participate in acknowledging the receiving of that gift and the thanking for it. Good luck on the rest of your planning. (laughs) Yes. Lizzie Post and I wish you the best. Have a great wedding.
1: Do you want more Dan Post sending in your life? Are you always bummed when our show isn't all business questions all the time? Would you like to attend one of Dan's signature business etiquette seminars from the comfort of your home on your schedule? Now you can. We partnered with CreativeLive.com to deliver almost eight hours of our Emily Post Business Etiquette Seminar Series online. It's super easy to get started, and you can take the program at your leisure. But we know you'll devour it in only one sitting. Just go to EmilyPost.com slash online seminar and start learning from Dan in minutes. The best part is... Awesome Etiquette fans can enter the promo code awesome Etiquette 10 to receive 10% off your first class. Limit one per customer, and the discount is only available on one item per cart. And now, back to our show. Our next question is titled, Potluck Weddings Okay? Potluck pickup detail at weddings? Not so much. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. I'm a great fan of the show and so much enjoy spending a little time with you both on Monday evenings. I have a question for you about a wedding. My boyfriend and I are flying from the East Coast to the West Coast in less than two weeks for the wedding of two of his college friends. This will be the first time I will be meeting most of his friends in this group, including the couple. As the wedding is on Saturday evening, and we are using most of my boyfriend's vacation days for a big trip in the spring, we are flying out to Portland on Friday evening before the wedding, and we'll be staying there overnight, then driving down to the town where the wedding will be held, about a two-an-hour drive, on Saturday morning. About an hour ago, <laughs> that's probably Hot my off the presses. favorite <laughs> part of this entire question, about an hour ago, my boyfriend got a text from another friend attending the wedding. Now, this is another friend. This is not the, the hosts of the wedding. And this text included a sign-up sheet from the groom. The sign-up sheet is asking those attending to sign up for tasks such as pick up the food from the restaurant and transport it to the venue, make sure the buffet table is stocked and kept clean during the reception, act as a liaison to the bartender, and clean up after the wedding." (laughs) This is the first any of his friends have heard about this need for help, and the general reaction, especially from those traveling a far distance to attend, seems to be shock, frustration, and a strong inclination to not sign up for any of the tasks on offer. My first thought is that if this request had been issued as a request at the time the invitation was sent— Perhaps there would have been less resentment, and folks would have been more cheerfully willing to lend a hand. As it stands, we've already bought plane tickets, booked hotel rooms, rented a car, and sent a wedding gift, and are feeling that this ask is a bit over the line, especially since it was not even made directly by the couple, but in such a perfunctory roundabout way, with the sign-up sheet and the wedding is less than two weeks away? Are we being unreasonable? Should those who have been asked simply sign up and bring a smile and an apron to go on over our nice clothes? I appreciate your excellent advice. Thank you so much for the wonderful work you do. Warmest wishes, perplexed in Cambridge. Perplexed. Thank you for your question. There are a couple of etiquette angles to this particular
0: question. My cousin Lizzie is about to bust out of her skin. What are you thinking, cousin Lizzie?
1: I, this is, shock me, shock me, shock me. I, I. This is the first time I've really wanted to ghost to someone and just be like no. Just like no response. I like I want no one to respond to this and just be like no.
0: You're not talking ghost the whole wedding. No. You're talking ghost ghost the the request. Ignore the the attachment on the text.
1: Ignore the text, ignore the attachment, just go to the wedding show. I don't know what you're talking about, man. Like I'm just ignoring this. This is me ignoring this situation. Like but at the same time, like, okay, clearly this couple is a bit overwhelmed by all the things that they didn't schedule properly and didn't figure out how to handle. I'm not quite sure what the setup of the wedding is, that there's no, that the vendors aren't actually bringing the food or that the, this is happening. There are tons of DIY weddings, as the, the, the start of the question says, there are potluck weddings. There's all kinds of ways to ask people to help out. Two weeks before the wedding when they've already made their travel plans is not the right time.
0: Without taking responsibility for the ask, having it happen in a a roundabout word as a file attachment on a text chain coming from (sighs) another guest or member of the wedding party. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I could could watch the transition happen in your mind from emotional – I can't believe I'm being treated this way – response to – I'm thinking about the situation. I'm starting to put myself in that other person's shoes. Wait a minute. Do-it-yourself weddings happen all the time. Mm. Guests often chip in and do all kinds of little things that make weddings I know. run more smoothly <laughs> from lending clothes. I didn't think about cufflinks. I've never wore cufflinks before. Does any whatever, pair of cufflinks I can wear to arranging flowers? I mean so yeah. many tasks. That, so many. That, aren't always well planned for just because there are so many tasks. Planning a wedding is such a big job. And I appreciated your even willingness Permissive. to jump into that emotional <laughs> place of, of someone's two weeks ahead and starting to get Panic. nervous about all of these things. Yeah, The how matters. How we make asks. How we dance that host guest dance. How strong a lead we provide. How we ask for support. How we acknowledge we don't know steps to certain numbers are, are all parts of this play and exchange, and I think that our question asker has identified that probably the time to make these requests is (laughs) when those invitations are going out, when you're having those first contacts with guests, to do it in person if you can or to acknowledge that the ask is Mm -hmm. an ask that's a little out of the ordinary. We've been willing to sort of say the way the ask happened wasn't great, so Mm -hmm. our emotional reactions are, are reasonable. Yeah. How do we then deal with the situation?
1: I like that this is where you got us. It plays back to the idea of those negative patterns and mindsets of, okay, this yes, none of this is right, but this problem is here, and these folks are clearly panicked. My question then goes: Is there a way I could help? Is there a way yep. I feel comfortable helping? No, you probably don't feel comfortable um, picking up after the wedding. You, it, it doesn't sound like that's or being the bartender's, you know, uh, server for the evening. But you guys are driving down. You might actually be able to go pick up that food at the restaurant and bring it with you to, to the wedding. And that might be the easy one to check off the list. I feel I, I do feel rough for whomever decides to take up the other options on the list, like cleaning up and everything. And it's not because these things are beneath you. It's because you've been invited as a guest to participate in something. It's awkward to then be asked to kind of supply it and, and make it work and function for people.
0: I was having almost the exact same Same thought you were having in terms of the, once I put on my best self thought, and I say, is there something here that I can do? Is there something that's not too heavy a lift? And in some ways, that's my escape hatch thought is pick the easiest thing to do for me on that list and get it done. (laughs) exactly. If there really isn't anything you can do comfortably, then I think you might say, no, there isn't anything here that I can do comfortably. And you might choose to loop back with the person who sent the list. You might choose to loop back with the host. Room, yeah. But if the offer came in or the ask came in a really roundabout way, if it felt more like, a, oh, and we're looking for some help. If there's anything here you can do, please sign mm-hmm. up. And it doesn't feel like it requires a response. I don't think the ghosting thought of ignoring is the whole request is terrible. Really depending on, was that text that came with the attachment they're really looking for help. Could you please pick something and sign up for it? Then I'm going to go. Or if it's a text that's about something completely different and there's just this attachment that sort of tasks for the wedding, it's sort of an, a side thought. You're
1: saying how strong is the ask? How direct is how it? How direct
0: the, is the ask determines the whether ask... or not you have to reply to it? Exactly. Yeah.
1: And I think, too, how forcefully that ask is set up. Is it like it's kind of what you're getting at? Like, is it an ask or is someone telling you you need to do this? and even in the circumstance, if they're telling you everyone needs to sign up for something, you'd say, I'm sure they do. However, our schedule is not going to allow us to do anything prior to or after the wedding. You maybe then are going to want to try to pick something during the wedding to help out with. But I also wonder if there's some way to suggest other things you'd be willing to do that might get more complicated and it might feel more I don't want to call it micromanaging because that's not right. Like a
0: negotiation? Yeah.
1: But I get that that then starts to get too much into the, well, we don't really feel like your ask is appropriate, but we'd be okay with doing this. And that just seems like not right either. I like the first is, yeah, no, this never should have happened this way. The second is, ask yourself seriously, is there anything you can do to help? If anything on that, if there's nothing on that list you're willing to do, I would take Dan's advice and I would call up the groom and say, you know... Is there anything other than what's on the list that you're looking for help with? Or I would be willing to contribute to this, that or the other thing. And whatever they are, a guest book, you know, helping to usher people into the reception just to get it going. Um, Little things like that. You can offer other things to do. If that's easier. But at the end of the day, it's even still kind of awkward to be like, hey, I've got this list of things I need help with. Oh, but you're just willing to help out with the thing you want to help out with. Like, so there's a there's kind of a negative impression there, too. And my problem is, is that the position our couple here has been put in Perplexed in Cambridge has been put in is that other than saying yes. It makes them look all of a sudden rude, but the thing that's being put on them is rude. I don't like this, Dan. I don't like what Perplexed in Cambridge has been put through. <laughs>
0: Nor do I. And it's these moments where our best selves are challenged and we step up and we give those best selves voice. We don't punish people for their mistakes. That's true. And day of big picture. Be there with a smile on your face, celebrating the most important day for this couple that you're traveling a long way to get to know and to celebrate with. That could be a challenge. That challenge is now on you, perplexed in Cambridge. But based on the amount of forethought, I'm pretty sure you're going to be able to do it and pass with flying colors. Good luck. Get the idea, audience. In this film, we play a game to find out what sort of friends we like to have and what kind of friends we want to be. Now here's another scene. Study it carefully because none of these youngsters will do the right thing or the wrong thing every time. It will be up to you to decide. Ready?
1: Our next question is titled, Walking Through.
0: Hello. Thank you for your podcast. It's lovely. My question is the following. What are good manners as far as letting companions, colleagues, friends, or strangers enter ahead of you, say, through a door or a narrow passage? Shall I, a young woman, be offering others to pass ahead of me every time, especially if they are older? Sometimes I stumble with this and just go ahead, especially if A, I'm in a hurry, or B, I'm walking with a close friend. I would hate to come off as rude, though. Thank you, Helen in Switzerland.
1: Helen in Switzerland, thank you so much for writing with this question. And- I will say we we aren't aware of Swiss customs. So if there are other customs in Switzerland that would prevail, please use those in the country that you're in. But I would say that for the most part, this really matters not at this point. And it's going to change. That's not true. It doesn't matter not, but it's going to change based on the situations that you're in. When you're walking with a friend, it might be you one time and them another time and... That's all well and good. When you're walking with a boss, it might be always the boss goes through the door first and you always offer to hold it. Your boss might then say, that's silly, and hold the door for you. Generally, we do offer to hold doors for superiors, um, but you can't always tell who your superior is. And that can be really hard. Gender used to play a really big role in this, that it was just always if you were visibly a man, then you were holding a door for someone who was visibly a woman. It just did not matter. That was always the case. And you will still find people who really operate in that way that, you know, mom got it into my head and she would roll over in her grave if I didn't hold this door for you. And it's important to recognize that those folks are out there, too. And it's not always in romantic relationships or seniority relationships. Family relationships, sons and moms and grandmothers and grandpas and everybody, It's it really depends on the people that you're with.
0: <laughs> it sure does. And I'm thinking about all the practical concerns that come into play. Your sister, Anna Post, had a great teaching point when she used to teach around this question. She would say, you know, it's not about any particular person being courteous to another particular type of person. It's about people being courteous to people. So practical considerations really abound here. Is someone carrying something? Is someone burdened? Is someone having trouble with a door for some reason? Does the door open towards you or away from you? Do you hold it and step back and let someone through or do you precede someone through a door so it's easier to hold it open for them as they follow you through a door? Practicality.
1: These, <laughs> to me,
0: those questions are almost the most important. If you're in a situation with a heightened formality. I heard Cousin Lizipo is even fleshing out what I think of as a a very rough kind of informal hierarchy. If there's a guest or a visitor, Mm -hmm. someone that you're taking care of, you might really want to make the effort to offer to make their life more comfortable, including holding a door for them. Absolutely. If there's an obvious hierarchy in terms of rank or organizational setup, then respect that. Offer to hold a door for someone who's uh, superior to you in a business situation.
1: Or a guest or a client in a business situation. I think we're about to have our train-the-trainers come, and I imagine opening the door, the door for them as they go through from the tunnel into our big office. Like, you know, big office. It's tiny. <laughs> but
0: no, absolutely. Yeah. That, that, that's exactly the kind of picture that you're painting as a host. You want to be welcoming and gracious and make those efforts all other things being equal, maybe respect elders. (laughs) Play that role, force an elder. At the same time, you don't want to force that on anybody. And then the same thing with gender. Um, So first tier consideration for me is practicality. Second tier is thinking about those structures of doing things for other people. And my parting thought is make the effort do it it's so nice to have someone hold a door for you and I also think about timing is is that door going to be closing on the person following behind (laughs) me and if that's the case just pausing half a second to hold that door open for someone who might not even be the person you're with but someone else around you is such a nice thing to do I love that you're thinking about this and I just want to encourage you to keep it up whatever the situation demands that's right of course And no shoving or pushing. Your manners are showing.
1: Our next question is titled, Carrie Gets a Gold Etiquette Star.
0: Dear Lizzie and Dan, thank you for the wonderful podcast. A friend suggested awesome etiquette to me a year ago, and I'm having fun working my way through past episodes. On episode number 159, the idea of ghosting at a party was discussed. My question is on the topic of ghosting, but in regard to online dating. Don't worry, it's not about ditching your date during the outing. That would be (laughs) terrible. Although we've addressed that question. In the age of online dating, many messages are often sent back and forth before an in-person date occurs. Recently, I met someone on a dating app, and within a few weeks of going on dates, we have decided we want to only see each other. Yay! Yay! While this is exciting, I am wondering what to do with the messages still sitting in the inbox. Some of them were people I had been exchanging messages with prior to meeting my new boyfriend. What is the correct etiquette in terms of responding to dating app messages once you have started dating someone exclusively? It seems rude to ghost those you had been messaging with. But the nature of the world of dating apps is that often people just stop responding once they are uninterested. I am curious about your perspective. Thank you for your consideration of my question. Take care, Carrie.
1: Carrie, you, my friend, are really thinking of others. And I got to say, that's awesome. <laughs> As someone who, who has been ghosted in such a way, it would be nice to know whether or not someone was just over it, moving out. like
0: Had found something else yeah. that has nothing to do with me. Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly. And when you've been having nice conversations with someone, I think it is it is nice to let them know, hey, just so you know, I did start seeing someone recently. I would definitely use proportional responses, because if you've only been like little light flirts, silly little words, that kind of stuff, then it's not a very serious, you know, amp. And in the course of the three weeks that you've been now dating and getting to know the person that you're going to be exclusive with... It doesn't sound like that one's amped up that much. Um, You could probably let a conversation like that just kind of die off. But I think that conversations where you're really in a conversation with someone and getting to know them or checking in with them every couple of days or something like that, then I would let them know that my status of available has changed that. You know, and just to be clear about that, say, you know, I've actually met someone or I've just started seeing someone exclusively. The other person can come back and say, well, hit me up if it doesn't work out or, you know, oh, that's great. Do you want to stay friends? I've enjoyed our conversation. Or they might ghost you after that and just be done. But I do think letting folks know that, no, you're no longer available to be interacting for it to lead up to something is a good idea.
0: We often answer the bigger question of how do I end a relationship? What do I mm-hmm. owe somebody in terms of a breakup? And that idea of proportionality, I think, is so important. Has this been a phone relationship? Has this been an IM relationship? Has this been a long-term in-person relationship? Guess what? You probably owe them a breakup in the medium that the relationship has <laughs> yes. been occurring in. Yes. If that relationship is a very short dating app IM relationship, that's where my mind goes. I say... <laughs> If, if just exiting feels weird, partings are so important. They're such an important part of good etiquette and the arc of relationships, how we end things really matters. It gives us good feelings. It gives other people good feelings and magic words are magic. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Is a really nice thing to say mm-hmm. when you part company and – as Lizzie says, a proportional response. Maybe if it's just been a, a light little back and forth, it doesn't even like, require that just much. Just emojis. <laughs> <laughs> See, ya, I'm outie. Might be enough to to, to make it an acknowledged parting. And Send I the doubt little that. couples'
1: marriage symbol. <laughs> like no, be awful.
0: yes, but but again, you can play with it. It doesn't yeah. need to be super serious. Um, but I like the way that you're thinking about it because it is good etiquette. And ultimately, it will leave both the person you're talking to feeling good, but also you as well.
1: Carrie we hope that that helps and we hope that this new relationship continues to be awesome say hey, that sounds good I'll call you next week well good
0: night
1: night, is Thank you so much for your questions. Please keep them coming, and please send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to etiquette at emilypost.com. And sustaining members, please remember to put sustaining members somewhere in your question or comment, or you can leave us a voicemail at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette in your post so we know you want your question or feedback on the show.
0: Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Today, our feedback also comes with a bit of a question.
1: Both do, yeah.
0: (laughs) Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I've been listening with interest as you've discussed the etiquette around handicapped bathrooms on the podcast. I had a related situation recently, and I'd love to hear your take on it. I was out to dinner, and the restaurant had two single-stall restrooms, one marked for women and the other for men. Both were occupied with three women, including myself, waiting. The first to open up was the men's restroom, and a woman walked out. The next woman in line went in. While we were waiting for another room to open up, a man joined the line. So there were now two women and one man waiting in line. The men's restroom was again the next to open up. Should the man have the next turn for this open stall, or should it go to the next person, a woman, in line? as a spoiler, I'll tell you what happened. The next person, a woman, took the stall. More people, about two to one women, entered the line, then we all decided to ignore the gender signs and use the next stall available. I thought it was lovely, as these single-stall gendered restrooms have always seemed terribly inefficient and pointlessly gendered to me. Also of note, this was in North Carolina, where we just went through quite the bathroom public gender controversy. Thanks for considering this etiquette conundrum. I look forward to hearing your perspectives best, Kate and Durham.
1: I love this question because how many times have you been in this situation where it's, it's a male and female restroom, the lines like, you know, long and you're just really trying to get people through? I fully admit that without actually thinking it's, quote unquote, the right thing to do, I probably would have leaned to the gentleman in line and say, you know, it's labeled men's. Do you want to take advantage? But I know that that gentleman would never say yes unless he maybe had an emergency situation going on. So I, I like the fact that the woman who was next in line just went to the next restroom. I am with you. I have often wondered if it's a single stall, why are you identifying one as male and one as female? And the only thing my brain can Think of is the cleanliness of male restrooms about versus this. the cleanliness of female restrooms. And do we really want to like, share? Do we want to go there? Um, but I, but it's so assumptive that men are messy or gross, and that women can't handle messiness or grossness. And frankly, their bathrooms in a restaurant they should be getting cleaned very regularly. <laughs> like so. However, this great divide has happened in the single stall situation. I am with you, Kate, in Durham, North Carolina. I think it just needs to disappear. I think that when you have those private bathrooms, they can just be the, the, the WC, the, the washroom, the, the restroom, the toilet, the, whatever it is.
0: And I've noticed more signs indicating that. Me too.
1: But I, I want to thank you for bringing this up because I do think that that it, it helps to kind of degender a, an unnecessarily gendered situation.
0: And in this particular situation, there's kind of a practical courtesy yeah. that's emerging that I, I think – made a lot of sense to the people involved and would probably make a lot of sense to a lot of listeners out there.
1: I liked it. Our next piece of feedback that also kind of has a question buried in it is also from a Kate. Hi, Lizzie and Daniel. Thank you so much for your wonderful podcast each week. I initially subscribed for the educational element, but it's quickly becoming one of my favorite podcasts to listen to each week. I love the way you approach each question and the way you relate to each other in your answers. Thank you. I have a bit of feedback and a question. My feedback is for Buried Under Stuff from episode 208. My son is currently the only grandchild on my husband's side of the family. And like this person's family, my husband's family is also very generous, especially around the holidays. I find two things help us minimize the amount of stuff that is accumulated around our house. We don't buy our son toys. On birthdays and around the holidays, our gifts to him typically include an experience with perhaps a small item for him to unwrap. For example, when he turned three, we surprised him with a trip to the fire station for a tour. It was an experience that he commented on for the next several months. Because of this, we leave room for my son to receive larger toys from extended family members.
0: So cool.
1: I know. I thought this made—I I was like, that's someone who's thinking.
0: A little checklist no, going no, on in my mind. Note
1: <laughs> to self, I will be taking my nephew, who just learned to walk, to the fire station. The second piece of feedback she'd like to give is that she uses Amazon Wish List to help direct family members. ...on what items to purchase for my son. My mother-in-law loves that she can simply go online and find what we are needing and or wanting for gifts because it takes the guesswork out for her. We have found that while our family loves giving gifts... They also want to give gifts that they know will be used and appreciated. And having the direction is helpful. The Amazon wish lists are a great tool because you can save items from a wide array already on Amazon or you can include links from other websites. That's how you can help out some of your local stores. I hope that this helps buried under stuff, especially with the holiday season approaching. So Kate also had a quick question that we thought we'd throw in here. I also had a question that I'm hoping you can provide some insight on. We had our neighbors over for dinner on Labor Day, and one of my neighbors brought a dessert and then left it when she left. I know that typically I would return the clean dish with a small gift or baked good, but because she brought the dish to a potluck type event, other neighbors also brought food to contribute. I'm wondering what the proper etiquette is in this situation. Thanks for all you do. Kate. I know, question in feedback, but it was like all there together. <laughs> and I'm not sure I understand.
0: Are we wondering about whether or not we return the dish?
1: Yeah, no, we should, no, we're definitely returning the dish. It's whether or not we're doing it with a small baked good. And I have to be honest, I've actually never heard of returning a dish with the baked good in it. Like uh-huh. like you don't have like if someone brings you a pie, you don't have to bake a pie in return to give to them or even a small token gift or treat. You just make sure you wash the pie plate and give it back so in both circumstances no matter what the occasion you aren't actually expected to fill the dish that you return oh it's a very cute it's very I know, sweet exactly. idea no exactly like, no i'm getting
0: up to speed quickly here and i okay. sort of like it but no it's not what i would be expecting of myself no no yeah. no no
1: so we hope that that helps and i'm still just i'm so jazzed on your feedback i love this idea me
0: too i've learned so much from one piece of feedback this is phenomenal <laughs> kate thank you so much
1: And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please, please, please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Hey, it's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's Postscript is all about the classics. Dan, I love what you've written here. (laughs) This
0: is so classic. This is like classics within classics. classics. Yeah, dining classics. I was on the road last week. I was doing a lot of teaching. There were big dining etiquette components to the teaching I was doing. And some of the favorite material was dining. And it just reminded me how... Essential dining etiquette is to the Emily Post tradition and what we offer, and what people I think like and expect from us.
1: Dude, are we going to etiquette geek out right now? Well, it's sort of an etiquette geek
0: out, but it's also a little <laughs> bit this is the stuff that in Emily Post's first edition of Etiquette, the 1922 edition, she called etiquette kindergarten. <laughs> But there's also a phenomenally good book that's called Everything I Ever Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten, and I think it's important to remember those basics, remember those essentials, and I thought that I would refresh all of our memories with three of my favorite pieces of dining etiquette advice.
1: Let's do it. I want to hear.
0: The first one is my personal favorite because I had a lot of difficulty with my rights and my lefts growing up, and until I learned this little trick, I had a hard time remembering how to set the table correctly. If you can spell the word forks, you can remember how to arrange your forks, your knives, your spoons, and your dinner plate on the table. You just start picturing the word forks in front of you. That's the F comes first on the left. That's for the forks that go to the left of the plate. The O is for the plate itself, which sits directly in front of you. And then that... R that comes next in the word forks you can think of as a lowercase r because it just means to the right of the plate come the knives and the spoons in that order. If you can remember to face the blade of the knife in towards yourself, that is the, the last thing that you need to remember to set your place correctly. This comes up for me all the time when I'm having a an, an informal lunch out and the server will bring out the utensils wrapped up in a napkin and you unwrap your napkin and now you've got some combination of knives and Forks and sometimes a spoon in front of you, You put the napkin in your lap. What do you do with those utensils? Well, if you can remember how to spell the word forks, you can remember that the forks go to the left and the knives and the spoons come to the right. It also comes in handy when you're hosting that meal at your house. Maybe it's the holiday meal, maybe it's that special occasion event. Now you know how to set the table without going to emilypost.com and using one of our most searched search terms, table setting guides. The next tip has to do with where you place the bread plate and Oftentimes, more importantly, the water glass or the drink. This is the the simple favorite. If you take your thumb and your forefinger and you touch them together into a circle, and you take your remaining three fingers and you straighten them and bring them all together, if you look at your hands, you're going to see in your left hand, your fingers have created a lowercase B and in your right hand, they've created a lowercase D. That means that your bread plate goes to that left side of the play setting and your drink or your water glass goes to the right. That B and D work if you're holding them up in the air in front of you. They also work if they're sitting down discreetly in your lap. So when you sit down at that crowded table at your next event and you're wondering, which water glass do I pick up or which bread plate do I drop this roll on in front of me? Now you know. The final tip, comes from the end of the meal. It has to do with placements of utensils at the end of the meal. And there's all sorts of subtle signals that people think about during the meal that hosts give guests, that guests give hosts. This is a really strong signal. This is an important piece of table manners, an important part of dining etiquette. During the meal, when you set your utensils down, if you're eating continental style, and we're going to touch on continental and American style in a coming postscript.
1: (laughs) It's its own thing. (laughs)
0: The handles of your knife and fork are going to be facing away from each other. If you're eating American style dining, the knife is most likely going to be at the top of the plate and the fork is going to be kind of at a diagonal sitting off the side of the plate. When you get to the end of the meal, when you're not going to pick your utensils up again and continue eating, both your host and your server will know that this is true because you're going to take the handles of your fork and your knife and you're going to bring them together into the bottom right-hand quadrant of the plate. It's a really visible signal that people can see from across the table or even halfway across the room. It also makes it really easy for a server who's clearing your plate from the right-hand side to reach over the right and they can... Put their hand under the plate and their thumb right over the handles of that knife and fork and clear with ease. So that's forks, B and D, and utensils at about four o'clock at the end of the meal.
1: Dan knows my thing with this. The four o'clock is a tough one because if we, I like that you said the bottom right quad, quadrant of the mm-hmm. plate. Because that's actually probably more accurate. When yeah. we've told people four o'clock, they've ended up with a fork pointing to the four and the knife pointing to where the so 12 the the would, be. would be. So we often say 20 after four or 25 after four or quarter. Quarter after four is a little still too much to the right, like off the side. So it, it's really in that like 25 and 20 after 4 p.m. range. <laughs> bottom
0: right hand quadrant of the plate. right hand quadrant.
1: That was the first time I've ever heard you use that. And I quite liked it. I was like, that that helps. <laughs>
0: (laughs) Those are some of our absolute favorites. They're the basics and remain some of the best dining etiquette tips.
1: We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. And today's is a little bit different, and there is a video that actually we can post for it as well, but it begins. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. Thank you both for the remarkable work that you do in a field that I think is a powerful force for good. I came to awesome etiquette for the table setting, but I stayed for the humanity with a huge laughing smiley face. I love it. I'm realizing that this might not make for a great salute because it relies on a video clip to tell the story, but I'm a huge fan of this and I'm going to pass it along anyway. What I want to share, even though it's not like your normal salutes, is an example of a courageous etiquette choice made by one public figure that paid honor and respect to another in a very moving way. Singer Patti Smith sang A Hard Rain's Gonna Fall at the Nobel Prize Ceremony honoring Bob Dylan in 2016. In the video, you see the very formal audience seated in the hushed, sumptuous Stockholm Concert Hall, the levels of etiquette being practiced at an event like this I can only imagine. The song begins. At just around the 1.45 mark in this clip, the singer stumbles over Dylan's words, and apologizing for her nervousness, asks the band if they will stop so she can start again. When I watched this on live stream at the time, I was astonished. I wondered if this was the first time something like this had ever happened at a Nobel ceremony. I imagined how hard it must have been in Ms. Smith's position, and delighted she decided in favor of doing justice to Dylan's words, appropriate since he was being awarded in the field of poetry. The camera pans around the crowd of dignified and literally crowned heads, and you feel their movement to support her, and she does begin again after receiving their warm applause. Maybe I'm just an etiquette nerd, but I saw this as a powerful display of consideration, respect, and honesty under extraordinary circumstances. And you can certainly feel the true spirit of Etiquette's generosity in the audience's response, answering back in a rarefied example of the host guest dance. Just amazing, Betsy. Thank you. Thank you so much for sending this to us and for observing a moment like that and really i mean i'm i'm hearing years of our show like come back through through this particular etiquette salute example
0: it's often those difficult moments where we talk about you have your opportunities to shine and it looks like this was one of those times where that really happened and it is a a lovely salute.
1: And how much better as Patti Smith to know that you got the chance to deliver the song in full in its correct wording and everything and that, that to me is it is a courageous moment and it's a really respectful moment. Very, very cool. We want to thank
0: everyone for listening and also thank everyone who sent us something. You can send us your next question, comment, or salute by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post.
1: And I'm at lizzie A. Post. That's lizzie with an I-E.
0: On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please consider helping us out by becoming a sustaining member. You do this by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app for nothing. And please, if you love the show, consider leaving us a review. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine. Thanks, Chris.
1: Thanks, Chris.